0: there it's frank buckley it's a holiday week and as we head into the new year you'll no doubt hear the cliche new year new you but it's true this can be a turning point for folks we tend to focus on the body and diets but what about your mind and your soul are you the healthiest that you can be when it comes to those areas and are you being as productive as you can be We're going to take a look at those areas in today's podcast in one of our famous holiday mixtapes on Frank Buckley interviews. We'll revisit interviews from the past, just a few minutes with each of our guests from those interviews to give you a feel for them. Today, you'll hear from Andy Puttickham, the co-creator and voice of the Headspace guided meditation app. We'll also have a few minutes with Erin Falconer of the self-improvement website Pick the Brain about her book, How to Get stuff done why women need to stop doing everything so they can achieve anything and we'll also spend a few minutes with jay shetty a former monk who makes inspirational videos that you've probably seen on facebook using the guiding principle making wisdom go viral if you want to hear the entire conversation with any of those guests you can always jump into our archives and find the original interviews to listen all the way through As always, I lean on my podcast partner, producer Bobby Gonzalez, to make the mixtape. He's been with me from the beginning in August of 2016 when we dropped episode one. This is episode 127. We're proud of that. We've never missed a Wednesday. So thank you, Bobby. And thank you for listening and supporting us and sharing us with your friends. Bobby's been promoted here at KTLA to now oversee all of our podcasts at KTLA, including his own, Spoken Dreams, which I guarantee you will like. By the way, I've been on a couple of other podcasts as a guest recently. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is one of them. And the other one is the news director's office. I hope you'll check out those conversations once you've listened to ours today. They're available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. So with that, here's to a happy new year and maybe to a new you. Bobby, take
1: it away. Thank you, Frank. Really happy to join you all again on another Frank Buckley Interviews mixtape, this time featuring clips from some of our guests who might offer some information and insight towards self-betterment in the new year. Our first clip comes from Andy Putticomb, co-founder of the meditation app Headspace. Frank chatted with Andy back when we were getting ready to ring in 2017 as the new year, but some of the insight into how we can use meditation to be more mindful is just as relevant now as we head towards 2019. Andy is a really interesting guy who has followed a very unconventional path to becoming a meditation mogul. It includes years of traveling in Asia as he studied to become a Buddhist monk, and then a stint as a circus performer. He's a true believer in meditation and mindfulness, who says he founded Headspace to demystify meditation, to make it something accessible and relevant for modern-day living. Here's Frank Buckley with Andy Puttycomb.
0: And so take us through it. Uh, Someone who's... Because I I think there is still this mystical quality and and it's kind of weird to a lot of people. And if you don't grow up with it, it's not around you. Yeah. um, It seems like, hey, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not into that. That's not me. And first of all, you take away the religious component.
2: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, because there is nothing religious about meditation. Meditation is a skill and... It's up to the individual to define what it is and how it's used. So yes, meditation has often been used within kind of religious teachings and traditions. But that's just one application of it. Equally, it's been used by Olympic sports teams to train for for, for the Olympics. Yeah. And it's been used by parents at home and teachers at school. So there's nothing, it, as I say, it's, it's a, it really is a, a skill that, that anybody can learn. Um, in terms of using the app itself, you can... Either go to uh, the App Store or Google Play to to download the app, and then yeah, you the first part is free, and I'm because I'm not involved in the commercial part of Headspace, I can say this. Um, CEO probably can't, um, but I'm I'm really keen that we always have this free element, and it's not that it's free for the first few sessions, and then it's that bit is free forever. You can use it for as long as you like. We got a an email from someone just recently. Uh, they were a professional sports person again someone who's performed at the olympics and they said that for two years straight they never paid for the. App. they had just done take 10 over and over and over again and they couldn't believe how much they kind of got from it mm. and for me that re- just re-emphasized that we are so in this mindset of having to progress through kind of levels and and everything else that sometimes we kind of miss the point Meditation, in essence, is very simple, but it requires repetition. So it's important to go over it. So even if you can't afford it, you can just stay with that. If there are specific things you want to address, then yes, you can subscribe. And then there are there are meditation packs on, on sleep, anxiety, self-esteem, memory, performance, relationships. There's now a, a sports vertical dedicated to, to competition and training, recovery, and rehab. Uh, there's a kids vertical for, for calm um, and for focus, uh, for sleep and waking up. So it's quite a broad library now with well over a thousand hours of, of content.
0: And these are a thousand hours of basically Andy talking to us. I try and talk
2: as little as possible. <clears throat> that's that's my goal. Right. Um, my, my goal is to give you just enough guidance to kind of keep you on, on track, uh, but not so much that you don't get that sort of Peace of mind that, that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So right now it's um, there are there are packs with a little more guidance, packs with a little less, and then if you don't, if you meditate regularly and you just want to be part of a community, then there's even a a place in the app where you can um, still have all the the rewards and the tracking and everything else, but no no guidance at all.
0: And tracking is important because one of the things you've talked about is how it's meditation isn't just a one-off. You, you don't meditate today and you're going to be fine for the rest of your life. You you talk yeah. about, you encourage people to set a certain time of day, yeah. the same time if possible, to yeah. get into that routine. Why is that important?
2: I think for anyone looking to develop a, a habit and a routine, then, then same place, same time is a really useful thing. That said, not all of our lives are like that. Yeah. And, and we don't all have that routine in our lives. So sometimes we have to be a bit flexible with it. But if you can find that, that place, I think it's really important. And yeah, it, this is a it's a journey of a lifetime for anyone who, who exercises or has tried to uh, have a, a regular <coughs> exercise routine. Now, don't know, you can't just go to the to the gym and go on the the treadmill once and expect to be fit for the rest of your life. Right. In the same way, if you sit to meditate, then yeah, you'll get some benefit. Yeah but the mind won't be sorted for the rest of your life. So think about it in the same way as training, training the body kind of little and often, regular basis. Daily is amazing, but even if you can only do it two, three times a week, Mm -hmm. you're still gonna see some real kind of benefit from it.
0: And the benefit is not only the sort of the feeling of it, but there's a science to it and what it does to your brain.
2: I think that this is for a lot of people, especially in the West is the most surprising kind of thing. Um, and I had no idea when I was in the, in the monastery in the Himalayas, yeah. e- even when I was there, um, some of my teachers were getting flown over to, to America and were getting put through MRIs to, to have a look at, well, what does the brain of, of someone who meditates all day every day for 20 years look like? Mm-hmm. And, and what they found was the part of the brain associated with feelings of happiness and well-being, that's actually thicker and stronger in those individuals who meditate on a regular basis. So it receives more blood flow and therefore we, we sort of spend more time there. So they got people in next to the lab who'd never done any meditation before and over eight weeks, they, they monitored that. And sure enough, the cortex got thicker and stronger. So it's not something fluffy, you know, it's not just a, a nice idea or even psych, just psychology. This is physiology. Mm-hmm. Our brain, when we sit down to meditate, is actually changing. We're changing the neural pathways. We're sort of letting go of some of the old kind of habits and perhaps negative thinking we might have, and we're actually laying down a, a new, uh, a new network, and um, and hopefully, kind of uh, as a result, living a life which is is a little more sort of happier and, and healthier.
0: Yeah, um, when when you are um, guiding us through these meditations. Um, how do you do it? Do you do you know that okay for to, I have a script or is it sort of are you doing it with us or tell us how the how what your process is?
2: Yeah, so it's it's completely unscripted. Um, I do all I do is the before going into um, the studio that day. If it's uh, like a thirty day pack, for example, I'll have one line, just a, a theme for that day. So for each of those those 30 days, I'll have one line of writing, and it's just so that uh, there's there's a sense of continuity and consistency as you go go through the pack, and also it allows me to sort of think, okay, how does the how does the pack develop? But I'm doing my best in every in everyone to bring the teachings that I I learnt um, and, and make those yeah make those more more accessible Hmm.
0: and and so you're you you pick a line you're sort of on a theme yeah and
2: and then and then i'm just meditating with you guys Mm. so i'm i'm in the studio sometimes we don't normally do really long days we might do sort of six hours in the studio um and i'm there just in introing the, the the day meditating with you kind of talking you through the the technique um leaving you with a a thought to take away maybe a little bit of homework and then I'm back with you on the, the, the next day again.
0: And, and breathing is at the core of all of it, isn't
2: it? It is, so breathing is, I mean, the breath connects both the body and the mind. So when we're, when we're really stressed out and we feel tense, the, the breath is normally quite sort of short and shallow. When we're really kind of relaxed, the breaths are normally sort of deeper. With this type of meditation, we're not trying to forcibly change the breath in any way, but we're using the breath as an object of focus. And by watching it in a particular way, it begins to slow down. As the breath slows down, the body relaxes. As the body relaxes, the breath slows down a little bit more, the mind starts to relax. So we, we're kind of changing from this sort of circle of, of stress and anxiety to, to one of sort of calm and hopefully a bit of clarity instead
0: and it is amazing um how in this very noisy world that we're in Mm. it's so easy to forget to breathe and and what it sounds like to breathe yeah and to just be (laughs) yeah isn't it i mean when i did this last night i thought wow i'm just sitting here and hearing things that i wouldn't normally hear
2: yeah i I think we have become so detached from the world around us. It's its kind of ironic where we're more connected than ever before with the, the world around us. And yet I think most people feel more disconnected. Yeah. And although we may have more so-called kind of friends through social media and everything else, actually you speak to a lot of people, they feel a lot more kind of isolated and lonely than they, than they used to. So I think this opportunity to just pause in the day, even if it is just for 10 minutes, and just reconnect, one with ourselves, how we're actually feeling and kind of conscious of that being present but also with the people around us and rather than seeing meditation as this thing that it's like uh, i think some people see it as a, a withdrawal from the world kind of i've even heard people say it's quite selfish to sort of leave your friends and family and go and mm-hmm. spend that time on your own mm-hmm. instead to think about it actually we owe this to the people in our lives if we don't look after our mind, we might not always be that easy to be around. And mm. we might not always be that kind and considerate to others. If we can find a way of, you know, as I say, sort of training the mind, looking after the mind so that we are kinder, more compassionate to the people around us, then I almost feel like we have a, a responsibility to do that. Mm.
1: That was Frank's interview with Headspace co-founder Andy Puttycomb. If being more mindful is one of your resolutions this year, definitely check out the Headspace app. I have, and it really is great. Next on the mixtape is author Aaron Falconer, who wrote the book How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. She's also the editor-in-chief and co-owner of the self-improvement website Pick the Brain and co-founder of the online video site Leaf TV, a modern lifestyle resource for women. During this conversation, Frank and Aaron dig deep into how women and men can refocus their energy and help boost productivity. Here's Frank's conversation with Aaron Falconer.
0: Um, you have such an amazing story and, and and you tell it in your book, How to Get Done. And and I, I as I was reading it, I, I was I was struck by something I, I discussed this with my wife last night actually, about how men and women look at productivity in a different way. Yeah. And and I said, I talked to her about the fact that you note that women sort of go through the day and say, I did this, I got that done. And as a man I would say, I never do that. Right.
3: <laughs> Yes, I would say that there are definitely different ways that men and women view productivity and how much they've accomplished. Um, I think that men, number one, are able to compartmentalize a little more. So in the fact that you know when you've finished something and you're able to move on and you're done and you're done and i think for women it's like we're done but you know we could have done a little bit more here we could have done a little bit more there and the the wheels in our mind are always kind of turning yeah. and and so the mind is never allowed to rest. We're never allowed to feel that we've completely completed something. Like, nothing's ever done done. Right. And I think that men have the ability to say, I did this, I'm moving on. Right. And really move on mentally. I'm not saying men don't suffer from work fatigue and all that right. stuff. There's a lot going on for both men and women, obviously. But I just think the engine is a little bit different um, genetically for women, but also just because of where we've come from in the workplace where we constantly been trying to prove ourselves over and over Mm. and over. There's a lot of fear-based stuff going on with women that I think that men have not had to deal with.
0: And Uh, and my sense is that that you're not only um, looking at your productivity, you're judging yourself and at the same time wondering how other people are judging you Mm. in a way that I think, yeah, guys go through that Mm. too, but it's it just feels different, and how is it different?
3: Yeah, I, that's, I, I think this is an excellent point, and you're exactly right on. That's my sense, too, is that men, I don't know whether it's a confidence thing where they just feel like, I've done the job, and now I can move on, and women are, are lacking that assuredness where they're like, they can just say with infinity, like I'm done, and now I'm moving on. And there's something about the way men approach that which just as I said before, it just feels like they have the confidence that they're done and they can move on. Mm -hmm. And there's something in a lot of the women's psyches around me, at least that I've been working with, that it's just they're never quite done. It could always be done better. There's always something more. And I'm not sure why that is. Again, I would guess that it's part just physiological psych different psychologies between men and women and mm-hmm. also the history of of how we've gotten to the workplace it's kind of like I guess if you've ever started out and you're a very very ambitious person and you you start in the mailroom mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and you're hoping to get to the top of the company you're always if you're really hungry you're always like I could be doing more I could be doing more I could be doing more but as you then move up the chain you start to feel more comfortable and more self-assured like I i I know I'm doing a lot and I'm doing enough and mm-hmm. The problem is I feel like the women, because we haven't had as, as as fair of a shake in the workplace, we always, no matter how high we're getting, still have that mailroom mentality of mm. got to be doing more, got to be proving, got to be proving, got to be proving. And that's exhausting and unsustainable really.
0: And and it's not only uh, at, at the workplace because, right. and my wife is, mm-hmm. has, I keep bringing up my wife because she really wanted me to, talk to you on this, on this <laughs> podcast. Um, but she, you know, um, she, she dings me over the fact that I sometimes have asked very successful women mm-hmm. on this, on this podcast, you know, how do you do it? Right. How do you do it all right And, and she's like, why you don't ask that of the successful <laughs> guys. Why do you ask the, the women? Mm-hmm. And, but I think there is something to the fact that people expect that they're yeah. like, Oh, you know you you've got to run the house mm-hmm. and you've got to run the business. Yeah. And is that an unfair question to ask? Um
3: I don't know if it's an unfair question but I will say that yes, definitely it's asked more of women than it right. is of men and there is an expectation But I would say the expectation is coming as equally from the women themselves as it is from men. And that's part of the problem, Mm. right? So Mm. it's not just men are like, you need to do this and you need to do that. The women, it's a self-imposed Kind of perfectionism that is really the bigger problem because it's bad if somebody's telling you has this expectation on you, but it's worse if you're putting the expectation on yourself. Mm. Um, That becomes an inescapable kind of jail-like situation, right? I will say, people, this idea of, of of having it all and wanting it all. I've many people have asked me about. My, you know, in my own life, not about the book, but Aaron, how do you do it? You seem to have it all. And I say the first thing is, is that I no- don't want it all. Mm. And that to me is the big problem. This idea of wanting everything yeah. is the problem because you can never attain everything. That's the idea, right? There's always something more you can be getting and that's the problem. Mm. So what I talk about in the book is, instead of going for it all, actually try and streamline what is it that you really really want and that list should be pretty short if Mm. you're being honest with yourself um you know there are three general buckets your personal life your professional life and then your kind of relationships so you know how you interact both in the workplace and with friends and family um and and when you look at those three buckets, try and distill down to one or two things that you want out of each of those categories. And you should be razor focused on those things only. Mm.
0: Um, So again, the buckets are professional, mm -hmm, personal, personal, and then relationships. relationships.
3: So where do you want to go professionally? Where do you want to go? What are your morals? What are your, your goals on a personal level? Maybe that's, I want to travel the world or, you know, that kind of thing. And then your relationships. And, Which are the most important relationships to you? Which are the ones that you want to nurture? Which are the ones that are not serving you at all, Mm. that are bringing your energy down, that are, you know... How many times have you got off... This is probably more specific to women, but maybe for men too. Have Mm -hmm. you seen a name on your phone, you know, somebody... The phone's ringing, and you go, ugh, and you kind of roll your eyes. That's a really good indicator. Like, this is a person, you might love them, but they are draining your energy, Yeah, right? Yeah, And I do that all... I used to do that all the time, both from... Work relationships and obviously personal and family relationships, where it's just like, "Hey, that's not cool. Like, there's something wrong with that." That's a kind of a litmus test, right? So, anyways, back to your. But but let
0: me ask you about about that. Uh When you get that call from that person now, let's say that person is draining Mm -hmm. my my energy, Mm -hmm. and I think we all have people like that. Yeah, we do. Um, How do you deal with it?
3: Well, number one, I think you've got to you've got to say look, what's the nature of this relationship? If if 90% of the time you feel like uh, ugh, a sigh when interacting with this person, you've got to really evaluate, hey, how much do I want this person to be in my life? It's not, which is a hard, really hard thing to do. And yeah. I, I spend an entire chapter talking about this in the book. But you know what? It's not. Ne- it's a lot of times necessary to at least reassess these, these relationships. I'm not saying go through with a machete and cut everybody out of your life, but at least be Cognizant of who's taking your energy and giving you energy, because mm-hmm. there are also a lot of people that are probably giving you energy that you're pumped when you get off the phone or out of a, you know, out of a meeting. You go, God, that I really feel good. Yeah, those are the relationships you have to start prizing. The other ones you have to start minimizing. Um, and how
0: do you minimize it? And do, you, do well, you, like in a you, typical case, do you have a confrontation with that no, person? Do you say, or do you start ghosting think, them? Or?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. But I would say just being really honest about boundaries. So, for example, let's say, let's say you, there's a person that's calling you relatively frequently and it's always a bit of a drain. You, I think you have to be clear, like, I'm never taking this call during work. If I have a clear, you know, I have a, if I'm reading a book, if I've set out time to read a book or take a bath, I'm not taking this person's calls. Like, this is definitive me time or time that I've scheduled. And so you have to, if if you can find time, if there is time after you've done all your stuff to take that call and you, for some reason, feel it important to take that call, then you can. But I think it's about being very conscious of your own time and not allowing other people to cut into that time, Mm. specifically people that are taking your energy down. Uh, I mean, you could talk to the person and say, "Hey, look, I I feel like it depends how long you've been friends with that person and how important that relationship is to you." Of course, right? Because you have so, to know the consequences, r- right? Exactly. So, and it and, and it might be worth having a really difficult conversation with if the relationship's worth, you know, saving and and trying to, you know, spin on its head a little bit. If it's not, if it's a friend you've, you know, had for a couple of years, you know, whatever, then it's like, I mean, I don't want to say you should coast a person, obviously, that would, that would be not good advice. Right. But you've got to put yourself first. Yeah. So whatever you need to do to put yourself first, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And- and, and I think it's just being really cognizant about the way you're spending your time. A lot of people just answer that phone autom- phone call automatic pilot yeah. without thinking about it, right? right? And I think the m- the most important thing is to think about everything you're doing. Don't just dial anything in
1: because
3: yeah. that's how you start to drain your energy and lose track of time.
1: That was Frank's interview with Erin Falconer, who was named by Refinery29 as one of the top 10 women changing the digital landscape for good. Next up, it's another former monk who now makes inspirational videos operating under the guiding principle to, quote, make wisdom go viral. Frank chatted with content creator Jay Shetty about his time as a monk, what inspired him to inspire others, and how he goes about sharing his wisdom in the digital age. Here's Frank Buckley with Jay Shetty.
0: Some people might listen to this and say, look, um, it's great that you did this. You, um, you always had something to fall back on. You and you and maybe this was part of some business plan because I, <laughs> I, I've I've talked to people who, who've who've succeeded and and they all seem to have this idea of intention. Mm-hmm. This idea of I'm going to think about you know where I'm going with my life, have a plan. Some people call it goal setting. Sure. Um, and I just wonder if you had that in mind that this was sort of a step towards
4: something else. My genuine response to that is I wanted to be a monk for the rest of my life because I thought thought that would be my best point of service. So my intention was to serve and to give knowledge and to give wisdom and to give insight Mm. by studying and going through the growth myself. But it was to do it as a monk. Like, did I ever think I would be on videos and social media or even sitting with you here today? Mm -hmm. No. Did I ever imagine and envision a path for me to be moving to L.A. or living in the U.S.? No. Like, those weren't. and, And I speak about that often. It's interesting I, I talk about how I, I never really had a vision board. I never had that goal. Mm. I just had a deep intention that I wanted to learn and share that knowledge. Mm. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know how it would work. And I didn't have a step-by-step process. Mm. I just knew that that deeply was where I wanted to start from. I just wonder, you know, and I, yeah. I mentioned
0: earlier uh, Andy Puttickham, who, who started Headspace, the guided meditation app, also from England. Yes. Also became a, a monk traveled for a decade as a monk and then came back and started this wildly successful Headspace app. And I wonder if now young people are going to see this as a path that <laughs> I will become a monk and then yeah. start my you know, my wonderful startup. <laughs> love- Is that something that, that
4: you think you've started a trend? <laughs> that's beautiful. I, uh, I think that's awesome. I don't recommend that. I don't, I don't think anyone should uh, run and scare their parents and go and become monks at all. But I, I think it's great that we live in a world where our role models or people and case studies even if we're not role models just case studies are becoming broader. Mm. You would never have heard that story 10 years ago yeah. even if it happened. Right. And I love the fact that now you have people switching careers midlife, you have people evolving from different spaces, you have billionaires that are under 25. Like the good thing about that is is that young kids today have more exposure to what's possible and have alternate routes to success and fulfillment. Rather than these are your two, three choices, and this is the only way to be rich, successful, happy, fulfilled. And I love that. So if anything, I'm grateful that Andy and myself can present an alternative path, even if it's not the one I recommend to everyone.
0: And you could have gone down the path that he took, which is to say to, to take the teachings and learnings and do meditation. Yes. And you chose a different path.
4: Well, first of all, I think what Andy's done with meditation is brilliant. So I'm an admirer. I'm a fan. We've, uh, I've interviewed him a bunch of times, and we've been on panels together. So I, I respect and love what he's done. My, my thing is if someone's doing something well, let them, let them do it, especially right. when it's something as beautiful as meditation. Imagine, imagine a meditation conflict competition battle of apps. That, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure that's very monk-like for me and him. It was also because I felt that I learned so many lifestyle insights mm. and so much wisdom on things like relationships finding passion, purpose, and meaning in life, understanding how to accelerate your strengths, how to have communication with compassion. I felt there was just such a greater breadth and depth of knowledge. Mm. Meditation is a beautiful tool, but there is so much more that I learned that I wanted to share. So it was more my fascination and excitement with being a bit of a geek and always trying to find the parallels between timeless wisdom and modern science that's mm-hmm. always been my biggest thing how can i find the connections between what i read today and what i read that's 5000 years old at minimum hmm. and if i can find parallels then we can say that that is timeless that is universal knowledge that people can put into practice and one of my favorite quotes is from martin luther king where he said that if you want a new idea read an old book and and i feel like that's where my content sits
0: yeah it's interesting. In your content, You, while you do motivate people and you are passing along mit- wisdom, you're not telling people what to think or do or say. I, I noticed in your videos that you ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's an inten- something that you intend to do.
4: Yeah. I believe that the answers come from within and we're not asking the right questions. I feel we're always looking for the right answers, not the right questions. And the biggest companies that we respect today, the biggest organizations, all came from trying to answer a question. Mm. It all came from trying to solve a problem or a question that we were able to identify. Mm -hmm. So my work comes from a very simple study that I read that said the most successful people in the world choose education over entertainment. And the most unsuccessful people in the world choose entertainment over education with their spare time. Mm. So my mission has been how do we spread wisdom at the pace people want entertainment? And to me, entertainment allows you to populate the thought with your own brain. Like when you watch a character or a superhero, you can watch it from your own lens. The movie may have morals, it may have values, it may be talking about good and evil, but the movie's not deciding for you. Mm -hmm. The movie allows you a space to create and imagine and grow. So for me, that's what I want my content to do, is give people a space to populate themselves, see themselves in the characters that I'm presenting, see their own situation and be able to come to their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. You seem to be
0: someone with great confidence and, and, and wisdom at, at your young age. And I wonder, um, are there moments when you doubt yourself, when, when you think, well, this isn't right, or I, you know, am I doing the right thing, or am I, am I creating the right message
4: today? Hugely, and I think that that's a practice that I hope I never lose, because I think that's the practice that makes you want to learn more, mm. it makes you want to refine your message, and it also stops you from putting out content for pressure. So I think we live in the world, especially on social media, where there's such a pressure to put out content at volume and to keep up with everyone else's videos and numbers going up and views. And for me, that checking system that you just spoke about, that's what helps me step back and go, do I really believe this? Or did it just sound good for a moment? Mm. And so I hope I always keep that. That doubt, I find it as a valuable tool and i'm always going around in that process i had that recently where i've really re- i got offered book deals from everywhere i could have ever dreamed of after my first video went viral and i've resisted signing with anyone because my personal goal is to write a book that i actually believe in mm. and not write it just because it's going to sell well and so a lot of people are like you're taking too long it, you know but i'm just like but it's a book. Like people are going to pay money and spend their time to read this book. Mm -hmm. The content has to have substance and I have to really feel like I've crafted something of value. Mm. So I love that. I love that I doubt myself and I hope I never stop. But you must, living in this digital world,
0: care about views and likes and all of that sort of thing. And I wonder, how do you balance that against who you are as a person? So people who especially are on social media tend to really into that right yeah
4: and what's your message about that to yourself my message about that to myself is are you making content for likes and views or are you making content that you believe will genuinely change people's lives Mm. and that's the criteria for me so if I ever see myself going down the line of oh yeah I should just make a video this is trending right now let's do it then I'll then I'll check myself and go okay but is this content is this really going to be valuable is this really going to impact someone's life are people going to watch it and be able to make a change in their life and I think that checking system allows me the opportunity to step away when I get carried away. Yeah. And, I, and I always talk about this, that you can't get rid of those negative thoughts. You can just get quicker at spotting them. Mm. And so I think too many people are struggling with, oh, God, I always have bad intentions or negative thoughts. And we, we beat ourselves up and we feel bad about it. The truth is, that's never going to stop. But what you can stop is how quick you spot it and stop it and start a new thought, and mm. plant a new seed. Yeah. So my recommendation to everyone is don't worry when you're having, I get negative thoughts too, and I get carried away with all of the stuff that I don't think is valuable too, but I've just trained myself to be able to stop it and spot it quicker.
0: Are you one of those people, though, who, who fills the 24 hours with constant work, or do you have time to just relax? And, and when you do, how do you do that?
4: So I try and wake up as early as I can every day to meditate. So I meditate for two hours every morning. It's a huge part of my practice. I haven't left it since I left being a monk. I've been meditating for two hours a day since I was 18. Mm. So that's been a huge part of my process and practice. That for me is my time to refine my intentions, to purify myself of negative emotions, to be able to really understand my thoughts and which ones I want to support and which ones I don't. And then from then on, I'm a really busy person. I love being active on social media. I respond to fo- people who follow me and like my content. I'm always actively in meetings. I really I love what I do. So I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. But I'm great. That, that morning time is, is so important to me. And, and that's allowed me to do everything else. So I feel like I don't need a lot of spare time and reflection. But yes, if you left me alone for a weekend, I'll be stuck inside for a weekend with a book. <laughs> like I, I love just getting into something and learning. Yeah. So I constantly take out block time to create to learn to go deeper myself i visit india every year for about two weeks again to Mm -hmm. live with the monks and meditate and go back to my roots i spend a lot of time with my spiritual mentors and teachers anything that helps me maintain that consciousness and not lose it and i get close to it all the
1: time That was Frank's interview with Jay Shetty. Jay achieved 2 billion views of his videos in 18 months and was named to Forbes' 30 Under 30 list in 2017 as a game changer in media. Frank's interview with Jay Shetty was also part of the Frank Buckley Interview's television program, which you can watch right now on the podcast page. Well, as the year comes to a close, so thus does another edition of the Frank Buckley Interview's mixtape. Thanks to Frank for letting me be a part of it and for the trust and partnership over the years working on this podcast and now the Frank Buckley Interviews television program. And a special thanks to all the listeners and subscribers for coming along for the ride. Hope you all have a happy new year. Here's Frank.
0: Thanks again to Bobby for everything he does on our podcast and thanks again to you for listening. If you'd like to share us with your friends and followers or retweet our content, I hope you'll tag me on social media at Frank Buckley TV on Twitter and on Instagram or post something on the Frank Buckley Facebook page. By the way, this coming weekend, December 29th and 30th of 2018, we will re-air my conversation with Jay Shetty so you'll be able to hear more of how he makes wisdom go viral. Thanks for joining us and for being part of our community. Until next time, I'll see you on TV.